0: Hello and welcome to Rolling Commentary for Behar Bechukotai 5767. This is your host, Nathan Aranatius, aka The Wandering Hedgehog, and there will be certainly a lot of wandering in the Parsha this week, as it is a double Parsha. There's a lot of stuff going on. In particular, we have the laws of Shemitah, or the sabbatical year, as well as the Yovel, or Jubilee year. We're told to deal fairly with each other and take care of the poor. Blessings and curses are given as an incentive or warning to obey the commandments, and the Parsha concludes with rules concerning payment for vows. So, there's quite a bit of stuff to ponder in this Parsha, and, but I noticed the following themes. The idea of charity, the idea of memory and forgetting, uh, forgiveness and restoration. So, I just named a few strings, and let's see if I can tie them all together some sort of way. I'm going to open the investigation with uh, two, two quotes from the Haftorah this week, um, which I think raise some of the issues that I will then go into. So, the Haftorah is from Jeremiah, the prophet who predicted and lived through the beginning of the Babylonian exile. And at one point in the Haftorah for this week, he cries out, Heal me, O Lord, and let me be healed. Save me, and let me be saved. And the second, the second quote I want to look at is from the Parsha when it's um, just Bihar, but I'm going to look at it anyway. Uh, you show kindness to the thousandth generation, but visit the guilt of the fathers upon the children after them. So we have already here this idea of, of healing. We have Jeremiah asking for healing and salvation, and we also have this idea of memory. On the one hand, uh, God remembers kindness up to a thousand generations. And at the same time, he also visits guilt of um, a father upon their children. Now, some of the commentators say that the second part, which is kind of troubling, why why should one be punished for the sins that they didn't even commit, but their fathers committed? And some commentators say that this line is the guilt of the fathers upon the children refers to the fact that the children themselves are committing the same sins that their fathers did, and therefore the guilt has passed on. Whether you find that acceptable or not, I leave up to you. So now we'll go to the Parsha itself, which alludes to or predicts this dire situation that Jeremiah finds himself and the entire kingdom of Judah in. Uh, Near the end of the week's Parsha, and the end of Leviticus, as a result, uh, God gives the Israelites a choice. If they follow the commandments given to them, then, quote, I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. But if you do not listen to me and do not perform all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes and reject my ordinances, not performing any of my commandments, thereby breaking my covenant, then I too will do the same to you. And a little bit further on it says, as far as these punishments, then the land will be appeased regarding its sabbaticals. During all the days that it remained desolate while you are in the land of your enemies, the land will rest and thus appease its sabbaticals. It will rest during all the days that it remains desolate, whatever it is not rested on your sabbaticals when you lived upon it. So uh, Rashi looks at this line and sees that this predicts the 70 years of the Babylonian exile, looking at it, and those 70 years correspond directly to the number of sabbaticals and jubilee years that were not observed during the preceding 436 years. Let's go back to the beginning of the Parsha and actually look at what this, this sabbatical or shemitah year is. It opens up uh, near the beginning of the Parsha, speak to the children of Israel, and you shall say to them, when you come to the land that I'm giving you, the land shall rest a Sabbath to the Lord. You may sow your field for six years, and for six years you may prune your vineyards and gather in its produce, but in the seventh year the land shall have a complete rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your fields, nor shall you prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest, and you shall not pick the grapes you have set aside for yourself, for it shall be a year of rest for the land. If you look at this, Rashi defines this Sabbath to the Lord as meaning for the sake of the Lord. As And it's interesting to note that this is the exact same wording that is used to refer to Shabbat itself. And these are actually the only two holidays mentioned that are, quote, to the Lord. And in this passage that I just read, the uh, root for Shabbat, uh, Shin Bet Tav, occur in the passage a total of seven times. So this is... Taken to be an allusion to creation. So just like you have seven days, um, six days of creation and the seventh day of rest, you have these six years uh, with the seventh year of rest. And uh, Ibn Ezra says that these six years correspond to the six days of creation with the seasons as the day and night. It's also important to note from the very first line the tense being used, when you come to the land that I am giving you. So it's the present tense as opposed to the future which the commentators say, well, why is it in the why is it in the present tense? Shouldn't it be when you come to land that I'm going to give you? That Ibn Ezra says, well, that would imply that it was given at one specific moment and only at that one specific moment. While this refers to it just as creation is a constant process, so too the giving of the land is a constant process. Someone is constantly being given the land just as the world is constantly being created. Now, on to the oval year. After every seven sabbatical years, there will be a yovel year or jubilee. So, this is just like Shavuot follows seven weeks. So, on the 50th day, you have Shavuot, you have this yovel year. So, during this yovel year, all Israelite slaves are freed, property is returned back to the original owner, and a declaration of freedom, a Daror, is declared throughout the land. So, why is it called a uh, yovel? Rashi says, it uh, refers to a ram, or the ram's horn which is blown on Yom Kippur to declare the oval. Ibn Ezra and Nachmanides both uh, disagree with that and say that it's about the idea of release. Nachmani says that, arguing against Rashi, that it could be any horn, not just a ram's horn, it says shofar, and focuses on this idea of restoration or return. And from the word daror, he changes that to dor or generation, so he's talking about the idea of returning to an ancestral home, and God remembering this ancestral covenant. And actually, Nakmaris goes so far to say that the oval itself is alluded to in Genesis 1.1 uh, to 1, so from in the beginning to and they were finished. So the entire act of creation is what the oval is referring back to, and it's this, you know, the fences are taken down on the land, and the animals and the poor are allowed to... Um, take what grows there naturally, it's not till, just like on the sabbatical year, and so it's returning this land to its state immediately after creation, so we have this return. And it also should be noted uh, on that regard that the yovel year is proclaimed on Yom Kippur and not on Rosh Hashanah, so it's a restoration and a time of purity, so it's not just so; it's the beginning of the year after everybody has purified themselves. So, we have this idea of memory. We have this remembering of of the creation. We have memory of the original owners right after the settlement of the land. But implicit in this in this remembering is the forgetting of the previous forty nine years of property of who owned it in the meantime. And looking at this, reading about the oval in the uh, parsha, I was like, "Is this even doable?" I mean, this returning of the land, it seemed very, very complicated, and it wasn't even practiced during the Second Temple period. So I'll move on to the next line. After describing the oval, it's talking about you shall not wrong your fellow. Rashi says this means to not verbally assault someone or intentionally give bad advice. In particular, you could talk about the bad advice of selling property at a high price right before the oval, or selling it at a really low price right after the oval, so it depends on how many years one has before they have to return it to the original owner. And the Midrash Rabbah has some interesting things uh, about this line dealing with the idea of tongue. So, a rabbi asks one of his disciples to go out to the market and bring him an example of good meat, and the disciple goes and brings him back some tongue. Uh, I've never eaten tongue, but... Okay, that's an example of good meat. And the rabbi says, okay, now go to the market and get me an example of bad meat. And he goes and brings back tongue. And the lesson is that the tongue is is an instrument that can be used for both good or for bad. In another passage, rabbi holds a feast for his disciples and he serves tongue. And of this tongue, there are some that is tender and there's some that is very tough. So all of these students, they go and pick out the tender tongues to eat. And the rabbi says, as you have picked this tender meat, you should speak tenderly to each other with your tongues. So the next idea uh, that gets presented is the idea of helping your destitute brother. Various midrash on this; these lines have two stories of charity, which I find interesting and slightly troubling. So first, from the Zohar, we have a story of... Rabbi Yosi and Rabbi Hia, and in the story they're walking, they're walking along the road, as the rabbis tend to, and they see two travelers up ahead. These two travelers who are up ahead are approached by a man who says, I have not eaten in three days, I'm starving, could you please give me some food? And one of them goes up and says, here, take my food. The other companion says, we only have enough food, each of us for one person, I'm not going to share my food with you, you know that, right? And he's like, did I ask you for your food? He's like, no. Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Hia say, well, surely we weren't meant to perform this mitzvah, this guy was. And they say, well, maybe he was destined to die. Here, There was some decree, that heavenly decree that said he had to die, and by performing this act, maybe it's been mitigated. Rabbi Hia says to Rabbi Yossi, well, we have plenty of food, let's give him some. And, he, and Rabbi Yossi responds, quiet, you know, do you want to undo this? this mitzvah that this guy just performed. So the other companion and the guy gives the food to wander off and this guy's eventually starts starving and he passes out asleep underneath this tree near death. They see this uh, asp coming up to presumably bite him and the, and the two rabbis are like, oh, here you know here he, is, he is destined to die. But the snake actually doesn't bite him. It bites this other snake, which was on the tree where he passed out, and kills that snake and then sl- slithers off. And they say, see? by giving that act of charity he is he's averted his death sentence. Then they give him some food. And so presumably he he survives. And that's the story. I don't know exactly what to make of it, but here is another story uh, that I'll tell first. Um it's in the Midrash Rabbah, Rabbi Samyan Bar Yochai has this dream that his two nephews are going to owe the government six hundred denarii. And he dreams this dream on the new year. I think that's significant. As we talked about this idea of restoration and this repeating of the cycle of the New Year. So he tells he tells his two nephews after having the stream, he says, I want you to be ministers of charity this year. I want you to, to organize giving out charity. And so they ask him like, Well who's gonna who's going to pay for this charity? And he says, You'll cover the loss right now and at the end of the year, you'll keep a record and anything you owe I'll pay. So they're like, okay, sure enough, and they, they're giving out the charity and they're keeping these records. Near the end of the year, somebody turns them into the government and said they're selling silk. And apparently this was illegal or they needed a permit, so they get thrown in jail. And they say, the government tells them that you either have to make the emperor a purple silk robe, or you have to pay 600 denarii. Rabbi Shimeon comes and visits them. And in prison and says, let me look at your records. How much have you given this year? And they look, and they've given 594 denarii, so 600 denarii minus 6. The rabbi says to his nephews, he says, give me 6 denarii. And they're like, what? Why are you asking for 6 denarii? We already have, you know, we owe 600. Why, why asking for 6 more? He says, trust me, give me the 6. And so they're like, okay, fine. They give him the 6 denarii. And he takes it, and he bribes the prison guard, and they get released from prison. And then he tells them, he said, I've known for the since New Year that you would owe the government 600 denarii, and that's why I told you to give out the charity. And they're like, why didn't you tell us? If you told us, we could have given out the 600, and then we could have used that 6 to not bribe the guard. And he said, well, if you had known, then you wouldn't have been doing it for the right reasons. And that's the end of that story. So we have these two stories about charity and kind of knowing what's going to happen or not knowing what's going to happen. And the idea of being able to change destiny through this act and this idea. of so, so you have this idea of like the memory of God or this forgiveness and this cancellation of debt and this returning to a previous cleaner state. And all I can say is going back to the hopper that we opened with, when, when Jeremiah says, you know, heal me, O Lord, and let me be healed, save me and let me be saved. I believe he might be saying, you know, the Lord, remember me on one hand, but also help me to forget. The end of the Parsha hints at the restoration that would come after this desolation for the number of years that the sabbatical were ignored, where God says, I'll remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham. I will remember and I will remember the land. Now a bunch of the commentators look at this line and note that the chronological order of the patriarchs is reversed. Because normally it's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But here we have Jacob, Isaac, then Abraham. The Midrash Rabbah uses this line as uh, the opportunity to talk about a conflict between um, the house of Shammai and the house of Hillel uh, over which came first, the creation of the heaven or the earth. The House of Shammai says that the heavens were created first and the House of Hillel says, no, the earth was created first, and they have all these lines that are able to, they're able to use to support their opinion. And what I think is significant about this commentary and then this reversing of the order of the patriarchs is this idea of chronology being reversed. Hinting that in order to return to somewhere in the past, there is this necessary dialectic of both remembering and forgetting and those are my thoughts on the parsha for this week i hope that those of you listening to this found something illuminating about it rolling commentary is a wandering hedgehog production you can look at my blog and subscribe to this podcast at uh, the or you could send me an email at thewanderinghedgehog@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments, please um, either email me or send them a comment on my blog. I will talk to you next week. Goodbye.